<laughs> Brilliant. Okay, a few months ago, um, I preached a message called Jesus is in the boat. And we were looking at the story of when the disciples were crossing the lake in a boat with Jesus. And this huge storm came and threatened to drown them. And Jesus saves them all by commanding the wind and the waves to stop. And I talked about how in our lives, storms will come, but that Jesus is the one who calls us into the boat and he's with us the whole way and he will get us to the other side. Do you remember that? Is anyone here? It seemed to be a word in season for quite a number of us in the church, including our own family. And you might remember that I shared with you how our family were going through a storm. And it was just a really tough season of not really knowing what we should do, um, what to expect, and actually where the boat that we had gotten in, where it was going to land. And we just couldn't see clearly. And during that time, a very lovely person, someone, kept coming up to me every week and saying, Julie, you just need to get up a mountain with God. You just need to get up a mountain with God. And I'm thinking, do you mean metaphorically? Or do you literally actually want me to climb a mountain? And so we went with the second option. And uh, we booked a trip to the Isle of Skye, some of you may remember, and we climbed a mountain. Kind of a mountain. I'm not sure if it's technically classed as a mountain, but I'm calling it a mountain. And I'm... and, and you know, but why on earth was this person saying to me, you just need to get up a mountain with God? What's the significance of climbing a mountain? Well, the mountain is symbolic of a place where we hear from God, a place where God speaks directly into our lives. And we see it all through the Bible. Moses, we read, literally climbed Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, it says that the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai. The Lord came down. He came close. And um, he called Moses to ascend to the top of the mountain. And that's where they met. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And he gave him the law that his people should live by. And that would distinguish them from all other peoples on the earth. And each time Moses went up the mountain, the Lord spoke to him. And gave him his next step and a call to obedience. You see, there's purpose in the mountain. Elijah, we read in 1 Kings 19, also climbed Mount Sinai. But Elijah wasn't in a great place. It tells us that he was deeply distressed, deeply discouraged. He was lonely, and actually, he'd almost given up. But he found strength to come back to this mountain, which was a place where he knew God had spoken to people in the past. And what did God do? God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. No doubt, strengthening him, encouraging him, and comforting him. And then, giving Elijah his next steps with a call to obedience. You see, there's purpose in the mountain. And we know that Jesus often climbed mountains for the sole purpose of hearing his father speak to him, to find out what he should do and where he should go for strengthening, for encouragement and comfort. And so when this person said to me, Julie, you just need to get up a mountain with God, 
I guess what they were really saying was, you just need to hear the voice of God. You need to turn down the volume on all the other voices. Remove the distractions. Get away from it all. And they were right. We needed to hear from him. We needed strengthening and encouragement and comfort for what we were facing. We needed the voice of God to become the loudest voice. And we discovered that there is purpose in the mountain. And do you know what? It wasn't any different for Peter, James, and John, three of Jesus' closest friends. We're going to read, if you've got your Bible or your Bible on your phone, from Mark chapter 9, about a time when Peter, James, and John were invited by Jesus himself to climb a mountain and hear the voice of God. And although they didn't know it at the time, this moment ends up being one they'll never, ever forget. It's one of those moments that you look back and you go, that's the moment. Things changed. There was a purpose in this mountaintop experience. So we're going to read. Um, Mark's not the only one who tells this story. It's also in Matthew and Luke. And they add in a little bit more detail, which I'm going to throw in a little bit as we read this. Mark chapter 9 from verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. Luke tells us specifically that it was to pray, where they were all alone. There, Jesus was transfigured. Now that transfigured word, the original Greek is metamorphosis, which is you know, a major outward change in appearance. And it says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Another gospel records that his face shone like the sun. Think about that. We can't even look at the sun without sunglasses. This is Jesus transforming before them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Again, an additional detail is, tells us what they're talking about. They were talking about how he was about to fulfill God's plan by dying in Jerusalem. This is what the three of them were chatting about. Peter, we all love Peter, don't we? He said to Jesus, Rabbi, that just means teacher, it's good for us to be here. In other words, this is amazing. He says, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I love that Peter, even when he didn't know what to say, had to say something, didn't he? Then a cloud appeared. Another gospel says, even as he was speaking, the cloud appeared and they fell face down onto the ground. And the cloud covered them and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming back down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until, everyone say until, the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Still don't really get it, do they? And that's why Jesus said, don't tell anyone yet. You don't really know what's really going on here. So that's our reading. I want to put it in a little bit of context here and understand the bigger picture. So let's Imagine the whole book of Mark is a mountain. 
okay? And if chapter 9 is the top of the mountain, then chapters 1 to 8 is the ascent. It's the climb. And everything after chapter 9 is the descent, the climb back down into the valley. And right from the foot of the mountain, every step of the climb, the disciples are asking the question, who is this Lord? They're trying to figure out all the things he's been revealing to them, all the things he's been teaching them, his power and his wisdom and his authority. And as they're climbing, it doesn't get any easier. It's getting harder. It's steeper. It's more dangerous. Following Jesus wasn't easy. And he was saying some really hard stuff about counting the cost, about suffering, about death and resurrection. And the disciples don't yet see the significance of these things. They see Jesus, but they don't see him and his mission fully. Peter has even said out loud by this point, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one who saves. And he's right. But he doesn't understand how Jesus will save them of it all. And up until this mountaintop moment, Peter doesn't realize who this man Jesus really is, that he's God himself wrapped in skin. This is an incredible moment of personal revelation, like no other, where Peter sees for himself the fullness and the glory um, of the, and the majesty of Jesus. This is Jesus, the Prince of Heaven, and he's no longer hidden behind his humanity. This is an unveiled moment, and Peter gets to see it. It's like Clark Kent. You know, he goes into the phone box. He takes off his glasses, and no one recognizes him anymore. He peels off his suit. And in that moment, his true nature and his true power are revealed. And this moment, this is the moment Jesus is peeling back his humanity and revealing his divinity. He wants them to see and know that he's not just a wise teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a healer. He is God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The sun, the S-O-N, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In this moment, Jesus is not reflecting another person's glory. He is projecting glory. You know like the moon doesn't have its own light. The moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is not like the moon. Jesus is like the sun. He is the glory of God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. They are one. And so when Jesus shines like the sun on the top of this mountain in front of Peter, James, and John, He's displaying overwhelming, undeniable evidence that he is God. And here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that of all the disciples, these are the three that go on to pioneer and lead the early church, that go on to write books that we're reading in the Bible today. These are the guys that have never forgotten what happened that day. It shaped their faith. It gave them great confidence. They knew they had met with God. In fact, John writes about this. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Peter wrote, we did not follow cleverly inventive stories when we told you about the power of Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses 
to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. That's in capitals. Pretty cool. Saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. These men had an undeniable glimpse of the glory of God. They had a taste of heaven, didn't they? A taste of their future. This was personal revelation that caused them to live uncompromisingly and boldly for the cause of Christ, no matter what they faced. I remember hearing a story of a pastor whose teenage son, uh, he was worried that his teenage son was going to walk away from his faith and from Jesus after someone in their family who was also a pastor did some horrible things and was convicted of um, a serious crime. And the dad was just so worried that his son would, would lose his faith and walk away. But his son said to him, Dad, you don't need to worry. I've had my own personal revelation of Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. What about us? What about you? Have you had your own unveiled moment of Jesus where you see who he really is? One that means you're unshakable and immovable in your faith. One that shapes how you live. One that gives you confidence in the promises of God. And one that means that you won't give up when it gets really, really tough. Jesus invites every one of us here this morning to come with him up a mountain to discover who he really is. And for some of us, it will be the first time. For some of us, the hundredth time. Perhaps it will be in a song. Perhaps it will be in church. Perhaps it will actually literally be up a mountain that you get that revelation. But always, always, it will be in this book. Scripture is God's revelation to us. And we should read it, meditate on it, and ask the Holy Spirit to deepen our love for it. Jesus wants you to see him fully. He wants you to know him fully. And he invites you and I into greater intimacy with him and greater revelation. And so the question this morning is, will you go up the mountain with Jesus? He stretches out his hand and he invites us. We want to be people. We don't want to be people who are easily shaken, do we? We want to be people of conviction, who know we've seen God, who know we've experienced God so strongly. We don't want to be people who only know God a little bit. We want to be people who know him deeply. So that's personal revelation. The second thing that's going on in this moment is personal affirmation. And this moment isn't just for the disciples, you know. This is Jesus' moment, really. This is a moment for Jesus of deep, personal affirmation from his Father of who he is and what he's meant to be. I mean, let's think about this. Let's think about the significance of Moses and Elijah showing up on this mountaintop at a time when Jesus' ministry was winding down and he was thinking about the difficult days ahead of his suffering and his death. And here are two Old Testament champions 
who have had their own mountaintop experience with God, who have been commissioned and sent out and faced their own difficulties, and they are now standing, talking to Jesus about what lies ahead. This is like, imagine you were running a race. I know for some that's a bit harder to imagine than others, but just imagine you're running a race, and Mo Farah comes up to you. He's like, oh, I've been telling people about you. You're, you're going to be amazing. I've got your back. You're, just go for it. It's going to be amazing. I mean, if you had Mo Farah backing you up, cheering you on, it would make a huge difference, wouldn't it? And here we have Elijah representing all the prophets who've ever prophesied about Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus, I spent my whole life telling people about you. And now you're here. And I'm here. And I'm telling you, you're the one. This is your moment. This is who you're meant to be. Come on, people. I know you know that song. You love that song. This is his moment. And Elijah said, come on, I've got your back. And then you have Moses, who represents the law. For so long, the law was the way that people were able to be in God's presence. But now, here is Jesus, who came and he fulfilled all of the law perfectly. And he did things the law couldn't do, which is um, sort out the problem of sin. He was the solution. And so Moses is saying to Jesus, that was the old, this is the new, you're the new, you're the man, this is who you're meant to be, you can do this. I won't sing this one. I think for Jesus, this must have been the most amazing moment of affirmation. Here's these two guys saying, we're with you, we've always been with you, run hard. And then as if that wasn't amazing enough, the father himself speaks and declares his love for his son. What a moment. On one side, you have affirmation. On the other side, you have the Father's affection. And Jesus is thinking, thank you, Father, that you've just reminded me of who I am and where I'm going. I know it's going to be tough, but you're with me. I remember when I was just starting out in this job of being a pastor. And to be honest, I wrestled with self-doubt, with insecurity, a bit of fear. It's not all gone. <laughs> and I often wondered how on earth I'd found myself in this job, in this place. One day I received a letter um, from my dad. And it was a lovely letter. It was full of encouragement, full of love and words that spoke right into my heart. And the fact that it was from my dad was very significant and meaningful. And it carried great weight. It meant so much to me to hear him say, you can do it, Julie. Go for it. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when a father speaks affirmation and love over his children. And I know, sadly, that's not everyone's experience that their earthly father would do that. But we have a heavenly father who declares not only his affirmation and his affection over his son Jesus, but he declares his affirmation and his affection over every single one of us in this room. He's a, an amazing father. And I wonder this morning, perhaps you need a reminder of who you're meant to be.
of who you are and where you're going. You know, Jesus had two great champions of the Old Testament cheering him on. But listen, you have the greatest champion of them all cheering you on. Jesus is for you. He's with you, comforting you, encouraging you, strengthening you, giving you everything you need by his spirit to do the thing that he's asking you to do and to keep going. Through scripture, we read the revelation, the truth of who we are in Christ and that we have the love of the Father. He's the one who affirms us when no one else does. He's the one who says you can do it. You can be a good mum. You can be a good dad. You can make a difference in your workplace. You can make good decisions to break that addiction because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can get out of debt. You can lead a small group. You can join the mad team. You can count yourself in and say, I belong to this church family. And you can know peace in the most difficult of times because you have the champion of heaven cheering you on and he says, you're an overcomer. You know, maybe you've made a decision and you've stepped out in faith. And this morning, you'd just love to hear the Father say, I love you. Well done. Go for it. You can do it. Perhaps this is a mountaintop moment of personal affirmation and God wants to speak directly to you and affirm you this morning. If, that, if you feel that's you, we'd love to pray at the end specifically for that. But do you know what? I know I'm talking about personal affirmation, but when it comes to the church, I don't mean like the building, I mean us, the people of God, a community of believers, whatever we see the Father doing, we should be doing the same. The transfiguration is an incredible picture of encouragement affirmation and encouragement. Jesus is about to go and do the most crazy, insane, costly thing. And what he needed in that moment was encouragement. There's a spirit of encouragement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and it was demonstrated to us in that moment. And we as a church, this is what we want to build. We want to build a culture of encouragement and affirmation. It's deeply important that we are encouraging one another. If you're a team leader here this morning, we have power in our words to build people up and to bring life, to breathe life into a situation. When leaders do that to me, it makes all the difference. You know yourself. If you've ever heard a word of encouragement for someone, what does it do? You lift your head up. It's like each step, another step on the ladder for you to be able to see further, to have greater vision, to go for it. You feel you can go further, harder, and stronger. In your workplace, you have power to change the atmosphere with your words, to put courage in people. And in your family, sometimes all it takes is a few words of encouragement. Amen? Let's be people who affirm others as the Father affirms us. Everyone okay? Are you affirming me? <laughs> Thank you. Thirdly, um, I've called this personal reality. Have you ever found yourself in a place that you never ever want to be? You 
quite happily camp there for the rest of your life. You just want the moment to last forever. Perhaps you've just done a long day's work and you climb into bed. You think, oh, I could stay here forever. Some of the mums in the room are like, yes. Or perhaps literally you've climbed a mountain and it's so amazing, so beautiful, so peaceful. And you're like, oh, I just want to stay here. Perhaps for some of the mums and dads in the room, you've finally got a moment to yourself. And yes, it's in the bathroom, but hey, the door's locked, it's your space now, and you're just thinking, how long can I get away with being in this room? You know, when Peter suggested that he set up camp on the mountain, it's because he didn't want to leave. And why would you want to leave when you see heaven touching earth so amazingly and spectacularly? Why would you want to leave? He didn't want to go back down and face this suffering that Jesus keeps talking about. He wanted to stay in the moment. He wanted to stay safe and comfortable, enjoying the glory without the other stuff. And I think that's us sometimes, right? We can find ourselves in that place. We'd rather stay up there, away from the reality of our daily lives, knowing that struggles await us down in the valley. But when it comes to the mountaintops of our lives, Jesus says, go, but don't stay. Go, but don't stay. There's an element of return, of returning that has to happen. The personal revelation, the personal affirmation, it may come on the mountaintop, but we have to go back down. Jesus had to go back down. Peter had to go back down. We have to go back down into the valley and into sacrifice because that's how life comes to the world. Amen? What happens on the mountain is wonderful, but it's for the valley. Those beautiful moments that we have with Jesus are for Monday morning at the school gate and Wednesday afternoon in the office. We're meant to carry those moments into the valleys. You know, the valleys represent our personal realities, the everyday rhythm of life that we need to return to. But we have to be careful that we don't box the mountaintop moments and the valleys into spiritual and non-spiritual. Reality is not unspiritual. And the mountaintop is as real as the valley. When we have a spiritual experience on the mountain, the valley should also be a spiritual experience. Revelation doesn't just come in the high places. There's so much of Jesus that we discover in the valleys, in the struggles, and in our everyday lives. Do you know what? In the valleys, the affirmation continues. The affection continues. Jesus keeps ministering. Deep joy and contentment are also found in the valley. We don't live, we can't live from mountaintop to mountaintop. We can't just come to Jesus for a fix. We look for him in both places, the mountaintop and the valley, and we will find him, and he's cheering us on. The disciples went from this glorious mountaintop experience where they experienced the presence of God so strongly 
But do you know what? They came down off the mountain. And they faced struggle. They faced evil. They faced difficulty and challenge. And sometimes that's the case for us. We have this beautiful moment with Jesus and the very next day, we just feel like we're in the valley. But that's the reality of the battle that we're in. You know, sometimes the mountains are not just one up, one down. It's up, down, up, down. You know? There's valleys within the mountains. And we need to be steadfast through them all, clinging on to Jesus, understanding that he is with us. Our mountaintop revelation sustains us through the battle. And just like Jesus said, we do need those moments of renewal and refreshing. We really need them for sure. But do you know what? It's so that we can return. It's so that we can return and minister to the world because our land here, there is always purpose to be found in the mountain. There's purpose in the revelation. There's purpose in the affirmation. It's all leading somewhere. These moments when God speaks to us are for a purpose. Moses and Elijah went up a mountain. God spoke and both had significant things that they went on to do after they came down the mountain. And Jesus went on to the cross. It's all going somewhere to do extraordinary things, everyday supernatural things that declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God. What we discover in the personal and what we hear in the private has to be outworked in the public for the sake of the world. So what has God got for us? Who's on the other side of our mountain? What is coming after your mountaintop experience? There's always purpose in the mountain, and we see Jesus there, and we see Jesus there. And he calls us to be steadfast in that journey. Let's stand together.